everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write about all things fitness and outdoorsy. Um, I teach some yoga, and at the moment, I'm getting ready to go race my bike in New England for the weekend. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach. Who's not racing his bike this weekend? No, I'm trying to sort of get back on top of fitness here, and I have a somewhat mysterious clicky knee that I don't know how it became clicky, but it started clicking. So feel free to, we can Twitter diagnose this if anyone wants to sort of tweet at me with ideas that they've they've solved their clicky knee. I've tried every single thing I can think of, and this should be in my wheelhouse. So, But you can't treat yourself, so let's do this internet-wise. I'm pretty sure most people are just going to be like, hey, buddy. You're just getting older. Well, there is that. <laughs> we've, we've been reflecting on that a little bit as we've been talking about the fact that Peter's been racing for almost two decades. I've been racing for over 10 years now. Yeah, so, I don't know if anyone listens, but I did the 99 and 99. And that's one of my, I did race before that, but that's how I sort of anchor. So I guess next year, 2019, I'll be 20 years of, of bicycle racing. Do we have to have a party for you? A retirement party, maybe. Could we do 99 and 99? Or Oh, maybe we should just do the event. Bring yeah. Bring it back. Okay, if anyone thinks that's a good idea, let us know on it's Twitter. Not, but it's, it would be like 19, though, right? All right, I like that race even or, better. Or like maybe 2019. Maybe you could have a race with like a lot of climbing and you could do like that many meters or something. I think we just bring back 99 and 99 and just... Don't ever address what it means. Yeah, like host a really, really retro party, like Y2K or you could do like 20 by 19 and do 2019k laps or something. All right, well we're going to think about this. Yeah. Anyway, um so we've we've been kind of pondering a couple of different topics that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. And one of the things that we kind of wanted to get into came back to a lot of the Q&As that we've been getting in, you know, a lot of questions about you know, they, someone made a mistake in training or made a mistake in a race and kind of how to address that. And I think sort of one of the first things that we wanted to talk about with that and sort of have this whole episode on is just everyone makes mistakes. I mean, well, rather than offering advice, which yeah. sometimes I wonder if either of us are really qualified, but hey. we have this microphone, so there mm-hmm. you go. Uh, but offering sort of mistakes we've made, and I can maybe sprinkle in a few client mistakes anonymously too, but ones that we've made over the years that have ultimately, you know, made us, I guess, more uh, consummate, I guess, in our athletic pursuits, or our racing pursuits. Um, you know, and those mistakes do ultimately serve as an education. It's a harsh education, but if you listen to it, it's how you sort of never make that mistake again, basically. Uh, so we thought we'd share a few of those today. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's something there that you can take away for your own benefit, or at least feel better about it, having made a similar mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, as always, definitely follow up with any questions or comments or whatever that you have. You can do that at consummateathlete.com, and we'll continue to do some Q&As or, or sharing of mistakes if this goes well. We um, could go all day with There's these. lots there, for sure. Uh, in sort of every fourth week is sort of once a month is our, our rough schedule sort of interspersed among a bunch of interviews. And we have some really cool ones that we've recorded over the last few weeks that we'll be releasing this month. Yeah. So lots of, lots of exciting stuff going on over here at Consummate Athlete HQ. But before we get into sort of a few of the more wider topics of mistakes, I guess, uh, can you remember any like one specific duh moment that you've had in race? 
Um, I feel like the this is cycling specific, which many of our things end up being. Um, but the bolt check is something I'm very, very, I guess, anal about or insistent upon uh, with clients and now with myself. But it's because over the years I've had, I've ruined a crank from pedals coming out twice in a race. Uh, and then I've also had, I think I've actually had the crank come off in a race. Uh, so those crank bolts are, are very important. So you need that eight mil usually eight, maybe a 10 or a six as well. Uh, Allen key, then you need to tighten those. Make sure they're on tight. I'm going to uh, add my I phone. actually, so, but, but, but that turned into like a glorious thing where I actually was on TV running behind Jeff Kabush, who was doing quite well in the race and had lapped me at the World Cup in St. Anne. And we were, <laughs> he was going up the switchbacks, which really steep. And I just sprinted as hard as I could. And I did the whole switchback and I made it onto TV running behind Jeff Kabush. I'm sure the announcers were going crazy. Yeah, I don't think Uncle Jeff was very impressed. But... I sincerely doubt it. My my personal pedal story, actually, I was racing on the track once, and I'd shown up with my pedals and very quickly put them on and started racing, and I was at the top of the bank when my one pedal came out. And track bikes don't have brakes, and when you're at the top of the bank, you kind of have to figure out a way to power your way down on one leg... It was, it was a learning experience for sure. I did not crash. I'm very proud of that. Luckily, it was Trexler Town where there's grass on the inside. Right. So I was able to kind of slow myself down in the grass. Um, yeah, that was a good one for me. I think my actual best like mistake I've made in a race, as soon as I started thinking about it, I raced my first, I think, three weeks of bike racing. Um, and I was wondering after the third week, why my, I just felt so slow. Why, you know, I'm like, oh my God, are my brakes on? Like what's happening? Someone feels my tires. Someone then checks my tires and I was running road race, like crit racing at 25 PSI mm-hmm. because no one told me that you need to pump your tires regularly. Right. I just figured if they weren't flat, they were fine. So... Pro tip, if you know a new racer or you've just gotten your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever into bike riding, uh, remember, they probably don't know to check their tire pressure ever. Yeah, it's very common. Like I try and get people onto digital gauges for mountain biking. We sort of generally have the opposite problem, but it's I've actually seen a few people lately where they show up and their tires like are at like 10 PSI. Um, and usually it doesn't matter, especially now with tubeless too much, like you can, there's a range, but it, it doesn't matter in, in terms of like flatting, but the enjoyment of the ride and just, you know, someone's there to learn skills, right? Like cornering especially is so dependent on that tire pressure, mm-hmm. um, in road now, like comfort and then also cornering and, you know, even I would say like confidence in corners and stuff is pretty related to that PSI. So, you know, now there's still that overhanging run super high psi you know super high pressure that's what people have always heard right like 120 psi or whatever but now it's you know 80 and 90 so finding out you know it's it's a mistake but it's like you say it's almost you know there's a lot to learn when you're new to cycling right so yeah like what a chamois is 
Well, and I think the the bigger lesson too is that like you were doing fine, like you're out there, you were participating, and yeah. you slowly accumulate that stuff. You know, someone checks it and says, "Well, we'll try this," right? And I think that's that beginner mindset is just being willing to be like, I know absolutely nothing and I'm just going to show up and, you know, as prepared as I am and, and try it. Um, and then you'll learn, right? It works. It doesn't work. It sort of worked. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think going kind of, I guess, bringing it back out to sort of a wider issue, I think so many of our questions that we get asked and so many of, I know my past issues, whether you're talking injury or sickness or not improving or having crappy races or feeling crappy, so many of the questions and so many of the problems can come back to just this idea of overtraining. So Peter, do you know anything about overtraining? Yeah. I mean, I pretty much always overtrained, I think, but you might be overtrained right now. Yeah, I think less so than in the past. But I, I don't know if I'm type A, but I've always been, you know, I went to school and I started working younger and um, then was training a ton, right? And we did a lot of volume and a fair bit of moderate intensity in those years too. And yeah, I just wasn't, you know, paleo diet came into that. So I was under fueling. It wasn't necessarily the paleo diet's fault. It was just that I wasn't applying, you know, enough food to that equation. Um, and, you know, enough starchy tuber, hadn't discovered sweet potato. <gasps> was there ever a world where you didn't know about sweet potatoes? Yeah. Like I was trying to do it on like squash and cauliflower and it just didn't work that way. can imagine how like it was digestive system was loving that i'm really glad i didn't meet you till after you discovered <laughs> sweet potatoes you can tell why there was a slump there yeah <laughs> um yeah so i mean it's just all those factors right so it's it's trying to pay attention and, and sort of i think you always get a sense that you know this isn't going super well right and i think sometimes we get you know whether it's paleo or this system of training or coaching or sweet spot or polarized or whatever clan you're jumping in with, you know, and we think we need to stick super hard to this rule or this plan. And the reality is, you know, there's, there should be some markers there, whether that is your performance or how you feel in the morning or the fact that you can't get out of bed or, you know, every day of the week, you can barely make it up the stairs. You know, we have all these factors and there's signs there, right? You know, if you're moody and you can't, you don't have enough energy to go out with friends or, you know, you're not sleeping. There's so many factors there, right? But I think it's having come from that, it, it's very hard to break yourself out of it because you believe that there's going to be this amazing performance at the end of it. But, you know, on that scale of days and weeks, there should be days where you're feeling good, right? And when it starts becoming like you haven't felt good and you can't remember when you felt good. Or I think it's even, you can't remember what feeling good feels like. Yeah, and that's very much like I was fine. Like I could do pretty big rides. And again, I was young and motivated. And you can sort of absorb a bunch of that, I think, in your 20s, especially your teens in your 20s. Um, I think it's harder once you get into your 30s and 40s and 50s. Yes, good, good thing I'm 26 again Yes. for the sixth year in a row. Yeah, so I think that's my, my mistake definitely was just driving too long and not paying attention. Like I think to that, is the performance improving? How do you feel on that sort of scale of a week? Um, and then what is the critical moment? Like I think the biggest question is like, was I ready for a start in a mountain bike race? You know, was I technically good enough to make it through races without crashing and bleeding all the time? 
Um, so I think that's where looking back, I just wasn't ready for those defining moments where no matter how fit I was, even, you know, I could go pretty hard for extended periods, but never for those key one or two or three minutes to get to the front of the race. So even if I was fit enough in terms of like your FTP or, you know, average, like the pace you could hold for a time, I could never get to the front of the race. And then half the time I would just eat it and crash. Right. So I wasn't really training for the sport. Like had I done Ironman, I probably would have been pretty good. Yeah, the training for the sport is super interesting to me because I think I was sort of in that same boat of volume and it wasn't even necessarily volume that I needed. I just have always been more of like, I prefer volume versus working hard. So I ran myself into the ground just doing a lot of volume and a, like while also lifting really heavy. <laughs> so I was. Yeah, and of, if you compare it, I mean, your two Ironmans are probably the best thing right like you (laughs) you finished the one was quite hot but um you did Ironman Louisville when you were like 20 23 so what should have been lots of energy and a really fast performance really it's a flatter course too right absolutely yeah Um, but there was also a heat factor of heat like I mean that could have just gone sideways no matter what but you barely finished yeah I Barely finished. I needed IV fluids after I was a total wreck. Um, and I'd been training. Like, I'd been doing the, again, this is back when I had um, a coach who maybe didn't necessarily know how to train a younger, newer Ironman triathlete. And he was just going off of a pretty generic training plan, maybe offering some not great suggestions about nutrition that he probably didn't have a basis for offering but essentially you were under fueling under fueling and over training over training so like huge volumes huge i mean you know there were 35 hour weeks while i was in school full-time and working Mm part-time and writing on the side and taking into account for the person right like that's always the thing like that might be the ideal iron man plan but for someone who's working or has family you know that's just not a reality there's only those eight hours in the day yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that race, you know, I crashed and burned pretty hard. And, you know, this past year when we did it, I mean, I think our biggest weeks, I maybe had a couple 25-hour weeks when we were in California for pretty training-specific reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm no longer in school and I work from home, so I can sort of shift my hours to, you know, suit long rides and stuff. Um, and I've learned a lot about fueling and everything, but even then, I think we only had maybe two 25 hour weeks at most. Most we, weeks were And 12. we did sort of more of a block, like it was a pretty minimal plan, but like that was a very bike heavy block. Um, yeah. I don't know if we even swam during that block and then we sort of cycled it around, so to speak, hey, um, hey. where you maybe did some bigger run weeks and then you did some bigger swim weeks when the pool was convenient. Um, and that worked pretty well, you know, especially cause again, you know, you still have to work and you still have to be writing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think my time improved by like three hours. Right. Uh, yeah. But you adjusted food and made sure you were, you know, fueling adequately on the, you know, especially for the days that you're doing these bigger rides and yeah, stuff, right? Exactly. Um, I, I definitely think looking back to like a factor in that overtraining, there's always a overtraining and then I think coaches always call it under recovery. Uh, to sort of shift the blame back. Um, and that under recovery can happen because someone's working like Molly's saying she was doing. Um, but it could also happen because we're not fueling, right? And I think looking back, I just wasn't 
eating enough off the bike, but then on the bike, like the reality is when you, especially when you're doing these big volume rides, it's, you know, we're spending a lot of the day on the bike mm-hmm. um, or on the trail running or whatever your volume based thing is. And the reality, you just have to be eating, right? And even in the last few years, I've tried to really put a focus on that when I actually get focused in doing these bigger rides because like I can finish four hour rides and actually be fine. But then if I fuel, I feel better on the rides and then I recover faster. Um, and so that I think the net result is just generally better. Yeah. I don't know how to tell you this, but I've, I've had a couple people tell me that you're, you're looking and this is like the cyclist's worst nightmare healthy oh. lately must be all the love in my heart or something Aww. yeah um <laughs> every pro cyclist but and, and, this is like cringing and, and so i wrote there was an article i wrote for like new year's it was sort of a new year's article for canadian cycling magazine and i had a bunch of sort of pros and coaches sort of give i don't know it was essentially their best advice for the new year's right their article was not revolutionary but ben perry who just made sort of the jump to european road cycling said that for him that was breakthrough was he just started eating more and he was seeing like even sometimes like two cliff bars an hour. So like mm-hmm. three and four and 500 calories an hour, even on some of these big rides. Um, and, and he just said just like the Watts basically paralleled when he ate more, he pushed more. Right. Um, which makes sense, I think. And that doesn't apply to all of us, you know, if we're riding an hour every other day, then it's not quite as important, right? You can get on top of that, that caloric deficit or that energy requirement. Um, but when you do do a, a block of training, right, and all my masters go away to, you know, a, a winter camp or they get a week, you know, they're off working at home and they're going to train a bit more, you know, the weekend rides, those two and three hour rides where you're just, especially if they're intense, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to just match that fueling, right? And that's where that under recovery over training thing a lot of times can be nipped in the, the bud. Is it the bud or the butt? I bud. don't really know how B-U-D. the bud, right? Like it's like a plant. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you can do that. You can stop that a lot of times, or at least prevent it by fueling adequately, right? And that has the flip side of the, you know, if we need to lose weight, then on the days we're not training, you know, eat appropriately, eat your veggies. Um, but that's, it's the, a lot of times when we get sort of all these different goals and, you know, not applied at the right time. Yeah. I mean, I want to come back to, to what you were saying about, you know, when you first started doing paleo and it just wasn't really working for your athletic thing. You know, I had the exact same thing with a vegan diet. So it's not to say that someone can't be paleo or vegan and be an athlete. It's more, you know, when you're an athlete, you have to be a lot more careful about how you're, how you're looking at the diet. So, I mean, I, I was a terrible vegan. Like, let's just put that out there. I, at one point, ate a pizza uh, that, instead of cheese, they substituted french fries. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like, they're all frameworks, right? And I think I still identify as paleo. I'm in the paleo. If, if, do you identify as paleo? I don't know. I do not. I like. I don't know if you can say that. I don't think I can say that. I like the gluten too much. Oh, I, you, know you, what? you can't. I but, can't. Um, I always say you're like Taylor, uh, one of my good friends. We would always joke when we, because he went down to California with me and stuff, and we travel a lot with racing. And we'd always say he was paleo plus candy. I'm paleo plus treats. Because there's always, because <laughs> there's blanket. always like people are like oh paleo plus dairy or something like that, right? And I think while we joke about that, like I think that's the reality, right? So for me, given my endurance cycling goals, you know, there's 
I use that as the framework. If we're not doing anything, that's sort of the framework I operate in, meat and vegetables, nuts, seeds. Um, and then if I'm training a lot, then, you know, the rice and some grains. Um, I love cereal. Um, you know, if chocolate milk's free after the, the races, I'll occasionally partake. Um, so, you know, there's always, you know, if, if you don't have any real reasons, but again, it, it's knowing sort of how that framework gets applied and not treating it like the world will collapse, right? And and applying it to your goals and your, your own personal thing. So you're talking about vegan diet and you had this framework for what it worked and you, within the framework you were saying, oh, I can have pizza, but you weren't applying that in a way that, oh, but I also am having lots of vegetables or, you know, matching my, my peas and my hemp proteins. And I was not having a lot of vegetables and like almost no protein when I look back. Right. And getting on top of the nutritional yeasts and your, what is the honey? Is it honey, like pollen or something else you have to have there? You can't do the bee pollen when you're vegan. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. tough. So you just got to go peas. Yeah. Lots of peas. Lots of peas. Yeah, it was not a fantastic time in my in my life, I'm going to say. And even when I was vegetarian, vegetarian's even worse because that opens the door to like cake and ice cream and just pretty much every garbage food that you can possibly name is vegetarian. Yeah, and so I think the, the ultimate mistake, though, that we'll, we'll come back to is that, you know, we're all trying to do some sort of athletic pursuit and trying to figure out what the fuel requirements are for that right and it can be whatever whatever framework you're going to identify with uh, but making sure that that framework which you're maybe choosing for any list of reasons environmental religious you know ease of you know how your family eats whatever but then trying to figure out how you can tweak that right so a lot of times folks are you know they have their family diet you know, the way the family makes their meals and then how much room do you have to move within that, right? And so sometimes we're just, you know, an extra serving of vegetable and not having the serving of pasta because it was not a very high activity day, right? And so the framework that you're working in might not be as easy to identify as paleo or whatever. You might eat anything, which a lot of my clients are, I eat anything, which is great. That seems like a healthy Mm -hmm. thing to do. Um, but then trying to sort of figure out how you work within that framework, right? Within that regular sort of thing to fuel your workouts or to fuel your off days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it can be really hard. Like I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is it's not that easy to make some of those changes though sometimes. And I think, you know, you pick up a book like, like even my fuel your ride and it's like, okay, it's pretty simple construct eat more real foods, you know what's not going to be good for you. It's, it is really hard to make that change. So I think, you know, I just kind of want to put it out there that it's really easy to say, oh, you know, add in the vegetables, sub out some of the pasta and stuff. But I mean, Peter's, Peter's seen me try to quit drinking as much soda or soda in general. And that took, you know, a couple years and it wasn't super easy. So it's it's not... So it is a tough one to... It's a really tough one. So and I guess, that's pop for, yeah, that's for, pop the, for Canadians, the Canadian yeah. listeners. So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of throw out there that this is like a big ask. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Well, and maybe in the mistake, you know, that we've all made is trying to jump on some sort of large scale change, large scale bandwagon. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to 
completely shift into something, right? Versus, you know, just clean up breakfast or again, you know, rather than taking the serving of pasta, just put the pasta sauce and meat on top of a bunch of vegetables, right? Mm -hmm. Like little changes, right? What can you control? Which meal can you control? Sometimes it's, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone just trying to completely overhaul, you know, I'm only going to do VO2 intervals now for this week. Right. Versus why don't I just do one really good VO2 interval set? Right. And that probably would be an improvement from the zero that I often do and just go and ride Mm -hmm. mountain bikes and ride moderately fast. Why don't I actually take a recovery day and then do my VO2 intervals properly? Yeah, actually, one of the big mistakes that I listed on here and we can kind of dive into that one now is this idea of going from zero to 100. And I have been so guilty of that so many times, you know. If you even put me near the Chris McDougall book, Born to Run, I will instantly like add 20 miles to my week. I once signed up for a trail marathon the day before it because I finished that book and I was feeling really inspired. That actually went really well, surprisingly, but it shouldn't have. (laughs) I think it's, I mean, even this podcast, you know, we talk to so many really inspiring, cool people especially pros that are doing awesome stuff and we get off the phone and I'm instantly like, oh, here's all of these things that they do that I want to immediately start doing or, or trying or I'm going to train like them. Um, and it usually takes me a couple of days before I do like a mini burnout and realize that this is very unrealistic for my life. Well, I think ultimately with this podcast or consummate athlete ideas that you're sort of prepared to go and do anything, but you know, it's, it's a far, you know, being prepared to go out and do a 5k, maybe, maybe 10k trail run, you know, with friends is different than racing, you know, a hundred mile race the next day. Right. And again, we're both guilty of jumping into stuff like that. Um, but it, it is amazing what you can do if you give yourself some time to sort of ease into that. Right. And, and sort of set some goals around that. Our, our Ironman was about a year we sort of pursued that and that was me learning swimming and of course building up volume to get there. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, on the topic of people we've had on the podcast and experts and pros and what they're doing, I think one of the big things to remember is, yeah, like what they're doing works for them. It's not necessarily going to work for you. So one of the people that came on gets up at four in the morning to do her workout. And I heard that and despite the fact that I don't need to get up at four in the morning to fit a workout in, I immediately wanted to. Yeah. It's like keep keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah. And it's for a lot of us, I mean, we could maybe get up early and do something, you know, the 10 minute core routine I've suggested, you know, maybe, you know, if we can get to bed in decent time. Sure. I could do that at 6am though. I don't need to do it at 4 Well, and there's that, you know, if you're currently waking up at seven, could you wake up at six or could you just wake up at your normal time and do a workout if you're not doing a workout, right? Versus getting up earlier and doing a workout, maybe just adding, you know, a bit of a workout of some type, right? Even a walk uh, and trying that for a bit. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the keeping up with the Joneses is a huge thing. And I mean, that can even go towards gear too. I mean, how many, how many times have you ended up going out and buying like the latest thing? Or... Never. Okay. That's just not my thing. All right. Herefords are big gear people. I think you and I are two sides of the coin. I will use the wrong thing for as long as I can, even if it costs me and injures me, whereas uh, you will get the right thing and then decide you're not going to use it after a couple of uses. My dad Maybe. and I own many surfboards. 
we brought a surfboard across North America. Never once did it see the water. It was very chilly that year. It was. Did not realize how cold the Pacific Ocean was. Just, that was not my fault. Would we, bring it we, again. We should try to go surfing soon. Yeah, if anyone knows a surfing expert. We uh, do have a couple contacts on that. But uh, yeah, if anyone does know or, or you know, or you, you surf moderately, we just talk about how you learn to surf. Mm-hmm. And that's the contact form over at consummateathlete.com. Hey, this seems like an excellent time to stop and give you guys a quick briefing on the Wide Angle Podium Network. So let's jump into that for a hot minute. The Consummate Athlete Podcast is part of the Wide Angle Podium Network. Supporting Wide Angle Podium gets you access to podcasts like ours and keeps your favorite shows on the air and constantly improving. You also get access to rad bonus content when you donate. Check out Wide Angle podium.com for show information other wide angle podium podcasts and to become a donating member with awesome bonuses you'll help support the consummate athlete podcast and every donation helps us keep improving the quality of the show again that url is wideanglepodium.com slash donate thanks for any support all right and we're back so next mistake all about injuries and pushing through them and not taking enough time off to recover from them. Um, so I, knock on wood, uh, have never had a, a break or like a really severe acute injury, let's say. Um, but I did have really severe, and I still occasionally have really severe muscle cramping issues um, that a bunch of different doctors tried to diagnose. You know, I was walking with a cane at one point during my like highest volume times because I couldn't actually walk without support. My legs were so cramped up. Uh, what no doctor told me was try taking a rest week or like literally take a week off, not a, you know, quote unquote rest week of my old rest weeks would be like 10 hours. Yeah. And it, it always strikes me as sort of an over training under recovery type thing yeah and i don't understand how it got so kind of undiagnosed um but it's really odd because it doesn't happen like under high exertion it actually like goes away under high exertion so yeah it's sort of odd but um to me that's it sort of strikes me as like a nervous system thing but anyhow like you say you've had lots of people do it and it does sort of resolve if you take a bit of time off yeah if I had just taken a week, if I had ever just taken a week completely off, I think I probably would have been in much better shape than, you know, what I was, which was just trying to push through it. And I mean, I had the same sort of thing with stomach issues as well, where I was having debilitating stomach pain. And again, you know, I was going to doctors. I think one doctor told me to start taking ibuprofen to make it feel better. Uh, don't do that. That is a terrible idea. Um, you know, and I just kept training through it. and Well, and eating that same vegan Yeah, it did not change pizza. my diet. I should just say pizza diet. It wasn't even necessarily vegan. Let's call it, it a pizza diet. It wasn't vegan's fault. It's vegan's not a person, but it wasn't their fault. Yeah, definitely the pizza diet did not help. No one, no doctor thought to tell me that. And, you know, it took a really long time for me to come out of that. And I still have some stomach stuff, but it's much more under control than it was then because I actually know when to back off. And I definitely don't take ibuprofen for it on the daily. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard when you have stuff 
you know, races looming that you're maybe registered for and, you know, some you're going to lose money because of it or you're nervous that you're not going to be ready for an event. Um, I think for me, the biggest fear was always that I would stop and I would either like stop exercising altogether, like it would just poof, go away and I would no longer want to exercise or, you know, the more less esoteric one of just I'm going to gain weight if I stop exercising. And I was so terrified of that that I think like, man, if I look back, I was so overtrained and so inflamed and such a mess and the pizza diet, you know, now I operate on like a third of the training hours that I used to, and I'm probably in better overall shape than I was. Well, you just posted some pictures on one of your latest blogs. If anyone wants to see me at 20 in my first like year of racing and me now, it's pretty obvious like which, you know, where I'm fitter basically. Uh, you know, it's it's now, thankfully. But how about you? Any any injuries that you've just pushed right through? And... Well, we were talking about this with someone at the Cycle for Sight charity event we were just at. And mm-hmm. I think my one of my talents is that I'm pretty resilient to, I don't know if it's to injury, but I can just keep going, which is sort of a blessing and a curse. Like, I don't ever really end up with crazy like chronic pain or anything like that and can deal with a fair bit of discomfort but then you end up with like debilitating saddle sores or like imbalances where you're tw- like I'm constantly just twisted one way or the other and um but I've been fairly lucky so I think for me it's more that fatigue just like ongoing like low line fatigue where I just don't have the top end and because mountain biking is very explosive then I miss out on those key moments right or the key fitness the key skill things that need to be executed so for me it's more that like chronic I guess injury but I do have a few like I trained I have this bump knee I have like a bump just above my knee from sort of scar tissue from a cut I got when we were over in Europe and going to do two World Cups and Marathon World. And I fell on the first one while running beside my bike and really sliced the top of my, like just above my kneecap open. But I finished the race oozing blood and then went and got stitches and then sort of sat around all week, stretched my hamstrings a lot, raised my seat a bunch so I didn't have to flex my knee as much. And then raced the World Cup and then raced Marathon. So now I have a bump knee. I have this like marble just above my knee. Um, and I'm worried actually that that's why my knee's clicking now mm. all these years later, but it's never really given me any discomfort. And they said, don't worry about it unless it starts giving you discomfort. So oh, there you go. we'll see, we'll see what this clicking turns into. But yeah, I think it's when in doubt, just always take a day off. And I think those scheduled, you know, the classic Monday, Friday off and every fourth week off, you know, as we get older, maybe every third week off, uh, you know, Joe Friel's got a couple examples of, what is that book? Fast After 50 is a really good book for anyone to read, I think. Like, I just adopted the training principles. Or a You're l- just really ready for that 50th birthday. Uh, I've always been sort of an older man at heart, I guess. Um, but I, I sort of just took a, a, some of those methodology. It's very, like, low volume, you know, making sure to prioritize recovery and some intensity and some strength training. Like, it's all same stuff we're always talking about on this podcast right but to me I was just like well I may as well just start now I think I I did this when I was like 28 so pre-masters but now that I'm here it's fine right and it's just really prioritizing those few hard days you know maintaining that volume but not going crazy so I maybe do a ride that's longer than two hours every maybe every week I get one in but 
There's probably some weeks I don't. I would say probably, and the Joe Friel, the main thing I'm talking about is that the week is an arbitrary thing that humans have sort of decided on. So he proposes that you're maybe looking at like a 10-day microcycle, microcycle. So a 10-day week for your training, and then you're sort of cycling through everything. So maybe you're doing your long endurance rides every 10 days rather than every seven days. I don't know if that makes sense without seeing it sort of on paper. Um, and, and that obviously, if you're retired or you have a free schedule, then that sort of works better. But it the, the real thing is you're getting more recovery between your workouts, right? So um, I think that's, that's really my main thing is you just try and get on ahead of it, I think is what I've learned. Yeah. Because I've always tried to just cram too much in without actually getting those key workouts in, right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked, we had a few good episodes with polarized and the sweet spot stuff. I think uh, we've, we've come down on there isn't really that much difference between the sweet spot and the polarized. It's all sort of got to have those quality days and you can decide really what your quality is and what those critical moments are you're training for. But then you need to have enough easy time and off days, right? And if you remember the sweet spot episode with... Frank Overton. Frank Overton. Sorry, Frank. Um, Mr. Sweet Spot, as I called him, which sounds really odd, actually. Yeah, stop that. Is that what I was calling him during the I episode? I think so. Yeah, you guys should go back. It was a really great episode. A lot it of people is. bring that one up. Um, and he's Phil Guyman's coach, who we've also had on the show. So he, his big things were you have to win in the kitchen. Um, but then he also mentioned motor pacing and talked about sweet spot, which is like a moderate sort of sub threshold training. And of course, the only thing people bring up to me is motor pacing and sweet spot, but they, no one talks about his nutrition being the key and scheduling, you know, your big race week so that you're, you know, not working 20 hour days and things like this. Right. That comes back to my, uh, don't get caught up in the gear and all of the, the shiny new things mistake that i i frequently make because i think i heard that episode and you know like everyone else he mentions the whoop he mentions motor pacing oh whoop is a kind you know those were the kind of two things that immediately struck me and going back and listening to it for a second time i was like i feel bad because he he mentioned the whoop and really liked it honestly and he didn't have like a promo code i bet you he could have sold a few if he had a promo code for whoop so if whoop's listening Either sponsor Frank or sponsor us. Someone's yeah. got to get sponsored here. Yeah, seriously. We've, we've sold a few. Um, but the gear is a good one. You know, the under-recovery and the injuries are one thing. You know, take a break. If you need it, you'll be fine. Um, I promise. But the the technology is one thing. Like, certainly in Ironman, but in mountain biking, I see it too. So many kids, but then, you know, just even sport-level riders with bikes that are so much better. And it's just so expensive, you know, and, and it's just those aren't the critical moments like that bicycle is not going that much faster up the hill because it's a pound lighter or the wheels are carbon or the you know whatever what other crazy gizmos like in triathlon it was amazing oh geez yeah so i had it was a nice bike i had it was a triathlon specific bike from trek it was a speed concept uh but it was you know maybe the third from the top components regular wheels not even aero wheels and it did fine like most of the challenge of that race is pedaling consistently and holding an okay position and making sure that you eat and drink so that you can run a marathon after. But there was bikes that are like $20,000. The amount of $20,000 bikes I passed on my non-triathlon bike. Yeah, and Molly just rode her road bike with some aluminum clip-ons and, you know, again, did just fine. Like it, it was re- wonderful. Really, you know, could there have been 10 minutes knocked off your time? Possibly, Maybe. for sure. Um 
but it's 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 one of those things right like how much we put and if you have the money and the time and you like gear by all means do that but i think you always want to make sure that you're covering those bases right and if i think about mistakes um i'm probably on the other side of this equation but mistakes that i see clients making is spending way too much time obsessing on you know the strava numbers or the the wattage numbers um and then the equipment and not about those defining moments like you know which could equate to some wattage, but certainly has multiple factors, right? Not wattage on any given day, but the trend in getting fitter or the trend in the consistency of getting those, you know, hill intervals in, but hill intervals on your mountain bike or on your feet mm-hmm. off road. Like if you're going to do trail runs, how many people just only run, you know, on the road because they're in a city or something, right? So it's it's tough. You know, there's a lot of those things where we, you know, are going to, the one classic one that I've seen a bunch is people won't drive to areas that, like are better for training right. for, for the critical moment of your race. So if you're going to do a running race, um, you know, in swimming, it might be driving to like a quarry lake or something, right? So to get some open water training, but the pool's 10 minutes away, so you go there. And that's fair enough. That works during the week and stuff. But the reality is that at finding moments, you're going to have to get into this like deep, dark lake and swim in a wetsuit, right? So you need to prepare for that. For mountain bikers or, you know, the new gravel is the the big rage, going to a place that's hilly or has gravel or mountain bike trails or mountains to run up or technical rocky running terrain, even though that's going to cost you two hours of driving time, might actually be a better investment than doing, you know, a three-hour ride in the city or workout in the city, right? Um, and I see that, you know, it, it's, it's a decision you have to make, but sometimes that's when I think back, like I did a lot of workouts that I sort of just did on gravel roads versus doing more training on actual trail that was technical. Right. Um, and that's, if I could go back, I would have done much, many fewer rides over three hours, which I did a lot then and not chase, like it was arbitrary or somewhat arbitrary, you know, 10,000 hours, like, you know, so we're going to do a thousand hours every year versus doing, 800 or whatever the number ended up being, which is still very high volume, but making sure that a big chunk of that was done off-road going really fast, right? Yeah. Versus going moderate on often not challenging terrain. And if still to this day, if I get onto like a gravel road or a rail trail, that's pretty flat, like for some, that's just what I've trained for, right? And that's fairly obvious given where I excel in races, right? Which is fine. You then pick your races and now hopefully I'll have a second career as a gravel racer, but. Uh, I would like a word on that after this episode. I don't know. Is there money in gravel? No. No. You get to sit on that couch though. What's that thing called? Uh, Santa Cruz, I believe, has a couch that they're bringing to races. Salsa. Salsa. There we go. Sorry. Apologies to salsa. Well, it's okay. Um, Santa Cruz. Do they sponsor? No. Who does Santa Cruz sponsor? Oh, dear God. Anyway, um, this actually kind of ties into sort of my last big mistake. And it's it's one, if I think back, I have spent thousands of dollars on gear that I've used, you know, a couple times. And then it's pretty much just collecting dust uh, from shoes to clothing to bike components, etc. A ton of little techie watches and... I have, I have a box. We should try it. If anyone wants to buy a box of miscellaneous polar heart rate monitors and all of Molly's heart rate monitors, I will accept a bid on this box. <laughs> and I gar- I will guarantee that at least one of these will function well. And if not, 
you can ha- you can give the box back, but like one out of these twenty, uh, at least. Like yeah. these are legit legit polar watches, and then you probably have some other ones. Oh yeah, we can't anyway, name them. But back to my point. Make a bid. <laughs> I've spent thousands on gear, um, but I've spent you know maybe maybe two thousand at this point on improving my skills, whether that's, you know, using a site like Ryan Leach has the Ryan Leach connection where it's skill progression videos. I've done, you know, a fair amount of clinics that I've gone to now, um, in recent years. And, you know, obviously I have great access to a wonderful skills coach and my lovely co-host here. So I sort of get a good deal on that, but even still, I'd say one of the biggest mistakes that I make is I don't give skills enough credit in term like and I know this is the embarrassing thing is like I am so aware of how important skills are and it is still something that I don't spend enough time on yeah it's it's pretty hard right because it's we all have ego and you know things that we enjoy otherwise right and, and going out and you have to find a reason that you actually want to go and do that right and spend time but it is challenging to do that right to go out of sort of your comfort area mm-hmm yeah, it's it's hard. It's embarrassing. There's usually tears when I manage to actually get out and do it. I mean, I'm usually happy at the end, but there's definitely tears during it. But, you know, over the years, I've learned how important it is and how much of an improvement I can make just by adding a little bit more skills work. Yeah, and I feel like people, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, I, I do skills clinics and skills one-on-one sessions, especially is sort of my main thing. Um, which I think is helpful. It sort of helps head off mistakes you're making or errors in your technique. But I think a lot of people, if they just, again, thinking about that dietary thing we were talking about, right, where you're maybe just skip the pasta a couple times a week and put it on top of the, the vegetables, right, or put some spinach in with your eggs or, you know, skip the cereal one or two days of the week or whatever. Aww. Side step to the left, just one step. Um, with the skill stuff, this might just be, you know, in your warm up, you're going to do 10 log hops, you know, no matter how embarrassed it feels, you know, you go into the park and you just, you just give it 10, right? Every day. Like that's how I got better at wheeling is before, as you know, when I wore, I think I usually did it on a cool day, but during the ride, I would just get in 10, 10 attempts. And I, there was no judgment on how far I had to go. And then eventually, like the other day, I actually impressed myself. Made it home from work is 2K, and I don't know how many times I touched down. I certainly didn't wheelie the whole way, but, like, some good long ones where, like, the only reason I had to stop was, like, cars were coming to intersections and stuff. And it's – but that's been – it's probably as long as I've been going to California, like, almost 10 years probably, right? And I'm still not Ryan Leach at wheelies. But I think sometimes it's that sprinkling it through workouts, right? Taking the more technical line, even if you're in a non-technical place, right? And – those little sprinkling it through, then, you know, your ego only has to like get suppressed for, you know, 10, 10 attempts. Right. But just those little greasing the grooves. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you screw up something, you will generally, you know, pick a ride and you always go back and try it once more mm-hmm. back and forth once. Right. And I think that's what we, you know, we don't even try it sometimes. And then if we do sort of screw up, we don't sort of assess it, take a big deep breath and then try it once more and then move on. You mm-hmm. know, if you don't get it today, that's fine. Move on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we could keep talking about our mistakes for days even. 
But I think we'll we'll wrap up there. But we'd love to hear from you guys on Twitter or on the contact form at the consummateathlete.com site what some of your biggest mistakes are, what some of the biggest things you've learned over the years are, all that fun stuff. And as always, if you could hop over to iTunes and rate and review the podcast, we would also love that. Um, thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week. Hey guys, I just wanted to talk to you for a hot minute about Health IQ. So it's not really that fun to talk about life insurance, but what about life insurance that actually cares about your Strava results and race results? That's pretty sweet. So Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health conscious lifestyle through financial rewards, which means they've got special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, and other health conscious people. Uh, They've used science to kind of come up with these lower rates on life insurance for people who are exercising, say, four times a week, um, because, you know, research has shown that people who are highly active, you know, by exercising have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and a 34% risk, lower risk of early death. So, you know, many people who are doing this regular exercise training for, you know, whatever event don't realize you can get a special rate on your life insurance through Health IQ by qualifying through the Health IQ quiz that they have online or, you know, even submitting those Strava's and race results, which is pretty sick. Uh, you can learn more and get a quote on your life insurance over at healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. So healthiq.com slash CA pod. So check it out, browse the website, take the quiz, and you know, submit your Strava results. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, Uh, Do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.